Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to The Captain's Collective. In today's podcast, we sit down with Gray Drummond of the Florida Outdoor Experience and talk about a wide range of topics, everything from success to scent control to how to build teams and also what makes a great outdoorsman. We got a chance to actually visit the Florida Outdoor Experience facility down in Chiefland. It was an incredible experience, and we're really excited for you to get a chance to hear from Gray. Also, we'd love for you just to help us out by continuing to share the podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and like it on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening to this. We really appreciate the support. Thank you so much. This is the Captain's Collective. Success is a gift. Excellence is the only thing to strive for. Got him. He, he, right. tried to eat it. he tried to eat it. He tried to eat it. Hit him. 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 Hit Anytime I said, you talk so much, you're like a senator. Hey, great. Thanks for hanging out with us and making time to be on the podcast and showing us around FOE, man. What a great morning. Absolutely. Thank you guys for taking the time to drive down. And I can't wait just to talk a little bit about what all you guys have going on here and how much intentionality you've put into it and the way that you've tied in just history and the whole experience. And I'm looking forward to talking about that, but yeah. before we dive into all of that, I would love for you just to tell us a little bit personally about how you got into the outdoors. Sure. Well, um, as you, as you see, and, um, and saw all morning it, uh, I live in a very rural area. <laughs> so if you're not into fishing and hunting, then you, uh, you're bored dr growing up as a kid. <laughs> But uh, seriously, other than fishing, hunting, and sports, um, there wasn't a lot to do. And, and uh, we, we certainly never really took it for granted, but it was just a way of life. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, getting into the outdoor industry, it almost it seems like normal transgression, if mm -hmm. you will, um, at this stage in my life. And, and as we were talking earlier, it was as I got into college and I started bringing some friends down, fraternity brothers and whatnot, down that maybe they were from a more of a metropolitan area, Miami, or, or maybe they weren't even from Florida at all, but they had never seen this type of Florida, didn't know this type of Florida existed. Mm -hmm. And watching those guys, uh, watching their expressions and, and um, just, you know, being all of this, it, uh, it really made me realize how special this was and you, and you I, went I, up I to sort florida of state right I did. And these were I did. guys south florida guys a lot of south florida guys you know maybe some guys from you know all over the united mm -hmm. states but either they they never knew of this um they always thought of florida as being you know the daytona beaches yeah. and miami and tampa's etc they never knew that we had such a rural part of florida here mm -hmm. with the natural springs the swanee river the Gulf of Mexico right here and uh, mm -hmm. and even some of the guys from Miami Tampa etc they uh, they they didn't know it either and so watching those guys see this type of Florida for the first time and and me you know growing up with it and having it in my backyard and like I said I never took it for granted but it certainly wasn't something that I probably appreciated as much as they did seeing it for the first time and so that probably was the seed that mm -hmm. was planted to you know 
start this. Um, You're kind of guiding them. Kind of, yeah. And it was. And that's when I learned how to guide, especially with the hunting, is showing them. And, And I think every outdoorsman has a bucket list of things they want to try to either catch or, you know, take with their bow or gun, et cetera, and whatnot. And, and I was no different. I had mine, and I had to set up a bucket list for Florida. And I accomplished that really early, well before I intended on accomplishing it, you know, and then it was like, wow, now what? So I kind of fulfilled that by taking other people um, hunting or fishing for the first time, or, or maybe not the first time. Maybe it was, you know, they've been before, but um, – um, they hadn't accomplished everything that they were wanting to accomplish. And mm-hmm. I was able to um, fill that void, if you will, in my life by helping them accomplish that. And then it was I was living vicariously through them. Mm-hmm. And I was getting that same thrill that through them, marking that off their bucket list or having that accomplishment as, as I had, that I no longer could get doing it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, And I think until you reach that level, you're never going to really be a true guide, mm-hmm. you know, until you're happier helping somebody else facilitate that, accomplish that, you, 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 you're never going to be able to give it 110%. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what were you, what were you studying at Florida state when you were up there originally? <laughs> Anything. Anything. <laughs> we don't have long enough. <laughs> a few things. A, a you're, few. You're, you're Everything. Very well, but, but when did you, when did it kind of click? It's not that you? kind of show Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> I said, this wasn't a gotcha show earlier, yeah. but I'm going to pull up a few things. I recently know. Um, but when did it kind of click for you that, okay, I, I think I want to build out something with guiding in the hunting and fishing industry. There was, it's a great question, and, and I've thought of this um, over the years, and I've had this, you know, this is obviously an ask to me, but there wasn't a defining moment that said, okay, wow, boom, this is what I want to do. It was a natural transgression throughout my life as I, um, as I brought friends in, um, and like I said earlier, able to watch them have some success Mm -hmm. and and me be responsible for that success and knowing the feeling that I had by doing that. And, and then, um, you know, I've already like kind of just repeating what I said earlier. There just wasn't that defining moment, but stars you weren't laying out. No, not really. Um, but I did, as I started branching out of the state and before I, I kind of had an idea, and I tossed it around that, you know, I'd love to be an outfitter one day and, and, and offer, but I didn't want to just be just fishing, just mm-hmm. hunting. Just, I didn't want to be one-dimensional. The, the guys and, and girls that I looked up to growing up in the outdoor industry, they were, they were true outdoorsmen, true outdoors women, you know, not fishermen, not mm-hmm. hunters. I mean, they were everything. They encompassed all of it. And I've noticed that there's a lot of parallels between the two. Um, you can certainly read a lot about this hunting and a lot about fishing and you can become pretty knowledgeable about it and understand it to enough to have a intelligent conversation. But until Mm -hmm. you're out there and you have the failures, Mm -hmm. you know, or the successes, but in my case, I've learned mostly from my failures until you have those failures and, and over time until it becomes intuition Mm-hmm. intuitive um, where it's not you can't just read about it you have to experience and you can't explain why you're doing this in order mm-hmm. to reach this goal until you have um you know d- you develop that intuition you really um 
you're not there yet. Mm-hmm. You know, you need you need a hand in, in, in achieving that goal. And that's what we mm-hmm. like to do. We like to take you from maybe step A to step C or D. Could you, could you before we go any further, because mm-hmm. I want to talk some about the failures thing, because you and I oh, had a great gosh, conversation yeah, this morning yeah, about that. Yeah. But before we do that, could you just give everybody an overview on what you guys do at Florida sure. Outdoor Experience? Sure. We primarily, um, we, we like to think of ourselves as a, an outfitter that encompasses all of Florida has to offer from fishing to, and, and when I say fishing, we do not offer offshore fishing. It's mm-hmm. all inshore flats fishing, and we have some bass, um, Swanee River, um, and some bass ponds, but, um, and then hunting. Um, we, we focus on, um, we, we welcome any kind of hunters, gun hunting, bow hunting. We focus primarily on bow hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Osceola turkey. And that's our bread and butter for hunting in the spring. And mm-hmm. it's it's only six weeks, but we probably run 60 to 65 folks through in those six weeks. And, mm-hmm. man, it's fun. It is it is fun. So um, if Florida offers it or has it, then we offer it. Mm-hmm. And, um, from gator hunts to hog hunts to deer hunts to um, tarpon fishing, uh, red fishing, snook fishing, trout fishing. Um, man. Did I leave anything out? Turkeys? Well, yeah. you know? Did you sequence <laughs> um, that? Did you just out the gate? Like, what was your first step? Did you just start with the Osceola turkey and then build it on, or did you roll it out from the very beginning? You know, package? I think... Because you do lodging, uh, too. We do. Is, we have we have two lodges um, that we house our clients in. And, um, yeah, Osceola was always the focus because, <clears throat> let's just face it, Florida's not a hunting destination unless unless it's the Osceola turkey. That's the one coveted bird that can only be found in Florida, can only be found in part of Florida. And so that's kind of Florida's, if you will, feather in their cap on the hunting side of things. That doesn't mean, though, that there are not some very, very good hunters in Florida that, um, you know, that want to whitetail hunt or or hog hunt. And and I will say this, it's starting to get a little bit of traction, but you all, are you all familiar with the Grand Slam in turkeys? You know, the the different regions, Mm -hmm. you know, they have the Aus... Osceola, the Merriam, the Rio, the Eastern, et cetera. Um, it's gaining some traction, but there's also a slam in white-tailed deer. And in Florida, we offer three subspecies of white-tailed deer. We have the coastal, the Seminole, and you all, I know I've heard of the Keys deer. Mm-hmm. That's, you, can't, you can't hunt the Keys deer. I think that literally takes an act of Congress to do that. Yeah. But, uh, but we, do, we do have three subspecies. And I think there's, I know that there's over 20 different subspecies, but in but um, it's starting to become a thing, at least in the bow hunting world, to um, go around and get the mm-hmm. get a whitetail slam, mm-hmm. and that's like I said, gaining a little bit of traction, which will be good for the state. But but yes, um, Osceola was the primary focus when we started the hunting side of things, and I can remember, um, you know, it it was. In, in, in your mind, you want to start everything at once, but in order to do something right, you really have to back up, take a deep breath, and start slow. So I started the hunting, getting that down um, first. I focused on that, and I can remember I built this great big booth, and I went up to the National Wild Turkey Federation show in, in mm-hmm. Nashville and, and you know had an awesome booth that had it had had deer mounts on it, you know, redfish mm-hmm. mount on it, a couple of turkey mounts, TVs with some videos of us hunting clients mm-hmm. and things like that, or friends. We didn't have any clients at the time. That was, in a, that was in February, and we were ready to start this season in March. That was a three-day event, and I think we had maybe 
four people interested. No, no one committed at the end of that. And we were sitting there taking this booth apart and just looking around thinking, wow, maybe we, maybe we missed something along Mm -hmm. the way. And then the phone started ringing and we had, I think three or four clients that first year. And man, I thought we were, you know, we arrived there, you know, that was such a big deal. And, um, and from, and that was, this is our seventh year. So that wasn't that long ago. And Mm -hmm. to think that we've gone from three or four clients that first turkey season to, you know, up to maybe 60, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's snowballed, you know, and it, and it really, it happened fast and we had to really be careful. We didn't get the cart ahead of the horse in, in doing that. And fortunately I was able to put together a, a great team of people that has made this happen, you know, and as I should say, has allowed it to happen, um, with the attention to detail that I originally had, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. dreamed about. I wanted, I wanted to just rewind a little bit. Um, I know you spoke about sort of rekindling your appreciation for this area mm-hmm. by those experiences in college when you would bring friends down right, and, right. and get to share your, your hometown with them. I think there definitely needs to be some, some time spent on your family's history in this town. Sure, I think, yeah. I think it's incredible. Yeah, and and yeah. even the building that we're sitting in alone, there's tons of history behind that, but I would love just to hear a little bit of history. Absolutely. Um, my family came from, uh, came down from the Carolinas and, uh, in the mid 1800s before the civil war and settled here. And the piece of property I showed you, not all of our properties here are contiguous as you saw, but they're all mm-hmm. within five, 10 minutes of each other. And the, the last piece of property that I showed you was what's called Drummond Pond. If you look on the land out or on the Google Earth or whatnot, it says Drummond Pond. And that's where my ancestors, I, and I, if there was a time machine, I tell people all the time, I would, the first thing I would do is go back to when John Drummond arrived in mm-hmm. Florida and wonder why in the world he said, this is it. Mm-hmm. You know, did, was someone having a baby? Did the wagon wheel fall off and they couldn't repair the Grand Slam. What, maybe it was, maybe it was. <laughs> He's the inventor. Good point. It might have been. But uh, so my family's been here a while, and for whatever reason, you know, we haven't left. We keep coming back to this area, and, mm-hmm. and I'm no different. <laughs> so five generations here. The, the yeah. building we're sitting in right now is almost 200 years old. Yeah, it's hard to believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one of the things that's really neat about the property, and we'll po- post some photos in, in the blog post on Captain's Collective, but one of the cool things about it is you've – really tried to make this natural Florida. So you want it to be the true wild Florida That's experience. Yes. So you, there's not, you know, kangaroos running around no, or, no, no. you know, anything like that. And then also you've tried to maintain the integrity of some of these different facilities so that they still feel like it's almost a step back in time. Correct. And could you just tell us a little bit about your mindset behind what you're trying to do there with, with some of the natural feel to it? That's maybe a little bit different than going to some sort of, all-inclusive resort that's super fancy sure absolutely um having the history the uh, and in florida that i have and being you know, i consider that fortunate i consider it very lucky and i think it's a rare thing now we there, there are not many people that can say they're two three generations um in florida and um um but but i can and um 
I think that people, there are some people that are interested in seeing that and seeing the history of it and, and having this in my backyard. It's, it's something that was definitely part of the plan when starting Florida Outdoor Experience and not only helping people achieve what their, their goals are, whether it be a turkey, a tarpon, a redfish, a deer, whatever, but to also give them a little bit of a history lesson on the importance of um, you know, preserving, which ties into conservation, which obviously, as you know, we're, we're a huge advocate of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it allows us kind of a platform to, yeah, teach, if you will, a little mm-hmm. bit, educate some folks about that while they're here. Mm-hmm. And hopefully when they leave, they don't just leave thinking about that animal that they, you know, caught or mm-hmm. took or whatnot, but they're also thinking about the, the history of Florida. And it, man, we have a neat history here. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, but if you grew up in Florida, you, you learn a little bit about it. But like I said, most people haven't grown up in Florida. They, mm-hmm. They've come to visit or they've come, they moved down here in the last few years or whatnot. They don't know about our history, but mm-hmm. it was the wild west of the east. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the people that moved here back then, they were either, you know, they either lost everything they had somewhere else or they were running from the law or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, this was, you know, this was a rough country to live in. Plus, mm-hmm. you had the Seminoles, you know, and that's the only tribe to never surrender. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, they had a lot of things they were dealing with coming here and the, the pioneers. And I love sharing that. And, yeah. I, and I, I'm very proud that my ancestors were a part of that. Mm-hmm. And I'm very proud that I'm able to pass that on to my girls mm-hmm. and, and share that with them. And so I, I certainly hope that this is something that they can, if not take over one day, at least mm-hmm. really appreciate. Mm-hmm. And what led you to the model of wanting to lodge? I mean, one of the things you were showing me, you're like, this is where we would keep our clients. This is where we would have the food for them. I I noticed that, um, and before I started Florida Outdoor Experience, as I was saying, I I, um, had some experience with different outfitters and and over the years and probably took five or six years in, in doing that. And while I was there, I was learning. I was trying to figure out what you know, what I liked about this group as opposed to that group, what they were doing right, what they were doing wrong. And I took a lot of, you know, took a lot of notes, wrote a lot of things down. And when I was the common denominator, I think between all of them that I loved from the ones that were good, that I, that really stood out, the common denominator was not necessarily the game or the, the abundance of game, which was there because they were doing everything right. But it was the fact that they their clients came first, mm-hmm. you know, and it was an, all of them, the ones that I really liked, it was an intimate setting. And, and what I mean by that is it was the, the guides there were excellent people, people. Mm-hmm. They, they knew how to read their client and they knew how to interact with their client. And after, you know, after being there three, four, five days, you felt like you've known these guys all your life. And they were one of your good friends. You wanted to keep in touch with these guys after you left. And that was something that was very important because I've, and when I was establishing and trying to build this team, I realized that, you know, for obviously you had to have a little bit of an outdoor experience in order to come work here. But most importantly, I can teach anybody how to be a hunter, a turkey guide or whatnot to the level to guide, but I can't teach them how to be a people's person. You know, and you either have that or you don't. And that's the key ingredient because what I mean by that is, you know, we were saying, talking a little bit earlier, say, say you have a client on the bow of your boat or you're hunting a guy, you're calling a turkey in and that turkey's within 15, 10, 15 yards and they miss, you know. Man, nobody's harder on themselves on that hunter than that hunter is on himself. 
you know? And so you got to go as a people, as a guide and as the right guide and as a people person, you got to go into therapy mode then. You got to be, <laughs> hey, man, shake it off. It's all right. Just like that quarterback threw an interception on the side. You know, you go over, you talk about what he did wrong. But when he's going back in the game and you need his mind right, you know, mm -hmm. and you don't need him rattled. You need to make sure he understands that this happens to everybody, which it does. And that, you know, hey, man, you know, shake it off. You know, what? we'll never forget. Mm -hmm. We're, we're going to get it done. But, you know, mm -hmm. what do we do wrong? Da, 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 da. You know, you just – you keep him focused, you keep him positive, and let him know it's okay, let's recharge, let's do it again, and um, let's have a good time when we do it again. Mm -hmm. and, and if we miss again, we're going to do it again, mm -hmm. and we're going to have fun because I think so many times in this we put so much pressure on ourselves in order to accomplish said goal that we forget why we're here, and we're here to have fun. This yeah. is supposed to be fun, so let's let's keep that in perspective. You know, I think that's something that's so far overlooked when – people can look back and say like, I had a great experience. And as a guide, it's very easy to think I'm trying to sell that turkey. I'm trying to sell that tarpon. Um, but the good guides realize that they're selling the entire experience. It's not, it's just yeah. not, it's not just the fact that, okay, I have to put this person on a turkey. I have to put this person on a whitetail. It's the fact that I have to make this experience of doing those things enjoyable throughout right. the whole. Right. And I tell, I tell our guides all the time, at the beginning of the year, we have a little meeting, we get together and I tell them a couple of things. One of the things is, um, I absolutely do not believe in luck. I mean, luck to me, that's a, that, mm -hmm. that's a fluke. You know, that's a fluke. You don't, I mean, you never learn anything when by a fluke or luck, you know, it's a hail Mary. <laughs> and, and so, but I tell them, you know, the harder you work, the luckier we're going to all get mm -hmm. and to, to stay focused on that. And also I let them know that, you know, we're successful. We, first of all, you can't control mother nature. Mm -hmm. You can't, I mean, you, you, you know, it could rain, it could be windy or whatever have you, the, the ant targeted species not cooperating. You're going to have, I mean, that's just stuff out of your control. So you focus on what you can control and, you know, you, you try to eliminate as much of the human error out of it, which you are responsible for. And that's on you. You can mm -hmm. fully control that. So at the end of the day, you know, it's all about the conditions then. And you're, and you're focusing around that. You're worrying about that. You're not worrying about whether the client's put a shotgun mm -hmm. shell in his gun or whether you got enough gas to get around or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, but, um, so you, you, you control what you can control, you focus on that, and also you have to realize that you're giving these people an experience, and you know, when you're 80 or 90 years old, you know, and you're laying in bed and you, you're thinking back on your life, you're not gonna remember that truck you drove when you're 25 mm -hmm. or 30 or whatnot, but I bet you're gonna remember that tarpon you caught when you were 18 or you were 20 or you were, mm -hmm. you know. We're, we hopefully are giving these people an experience that is invaluable, mm -hmm. you know, because you're gonna, these are things you're gonna remember the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And we want to be a part of that. And I wish I could, I enjoy that so much and I get such a high off of that, that I wish I could do it for free. I wish we could not charge anybody anything to yeah. have that. Um, because it's, it's, it's definitely a drug to me. Yeah. <laughs> and you talked about learning earlier, 
you learn more than from your failures. Oh, than man, your success. I have. I have. Unfortunately, I've never been one of those. <laughs> I wasn't born with the it factor. Yeah. You know, I had to work hard for every accomplishment I had. And, but in, and in doing that, um, for every 10 failures, there's been one success. Mm-hmm. And so I always learn from my failures and, and by, and so I'm not saying I ever embrace failing. Nobody mm-hmm. embraces it, but you try to look at the positive and everything and you try to use it as a, as a learning point. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep a log religiously good or bad, you know, um, and I'm constantly looking back in that, trying to check off things that I, you know, through this this time, you know, maybe where I was, I'm going out bow hunting, and the moon phase is this. I have a, you know, northwest wind, you know, and and these conditions are this. Let me go back in my log and see what happened back, you know, two years ago when the conditions were that. What did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. What did I do right? You know, and and that that allows you. After a while, you develop a pattern in that, and it's kind of for. Mm-hmm. just personal Get your reasons it's fun and, it's, and you know you have it too. and something that was interested to me was you have that in the outdoor world so you got the log or you make mistakes you learn a lot yeah. i shouldn't have set up this way but no. you also have it to tie back to what you said earlier which you have it in the business world too which absolutely you know, people in your circumstance are they're navigating both and mm-hmm. sometimes you go to a big conference and you set up this booth and you got all these TVs and mounts and you spend all this money and all this time and all this energy and then you failed. And a lot mm-hmm. of people, I think they would have gotten the car and you know, they just would have, maybe they would have, wouldn't even have taken ownership. They would have just ragged, you know, oh, it's the conference's fault. It's the people's fault or whatever. But how do you try to learn from failure as a business leader? And then also as an outdoorsman, you know, I think first and foremost, if you are not happy in doing whatever you're doing, you're never going to be successful at it. So that's the foundation of you know, your answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so unless it's an obs- and when I mean happy, I mean it. You need to love what you're doing to a point that it's it's an obsession. And you also need to understand that you're not going to do anything overnight. Um, there was a, a book that. I don't know if you all heard of it. It's called The Outliers. It was written mm-hmm. by uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Have you read that mm-hmm. book before? I actually have, yeah. You have. Okay. I think it came out in 06, 07, something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, in that, he talks about the 10,000-hour rule. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the 10,000-hour rule? Yeah. Tom Rosenbauer actually brought that exact thing up no when I interviewed him okay. last week. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a book um, everyone should read, no mm-hmm. matter what field you're in. And um, it... Uh, you know, so knowing that, and I don't want to, I don't want to ruin the book for you because I want <laughs> you to read it. But in that, it, it basically says it takes ten thousand hours to be able to master something. Until you can be a professional, until you are the guy or the girl at said job or whatever you're wanting to get into, it takes ten thousand hours. Mm-hmm. And I think they use the band the Beatles in the book as a, mm-hmm. um, as kind of an, uh, um, a group as an mm-hmm. example. Um, but, uh, you know, so you have to, in order to do something for that long, and that's a lot of years, you know, but in order to do something for that long, you better enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And if you're not enjoying it, if it's not, doesn't become an obsession, you're not going to be successful at it. And in that you have to understand you're going to have a lot of failures and you have to be able to have thick skin because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be naysayers and, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're going to have, um, yeah be talked down about or two and um you know more people are going to not support you probably than support you mm-hmm. and but at the end of the day 
it's it's if it's you're obsessed at it and you and you do your job and you um, stay truthful to yourself, then you're, you're going to be successful. But it, it doesn't happen overnight, and and people just they give up too soon. Mm-hmm. They do because it'll all come together. It will if you stick with it. There's just no shortcuts, mm-hmm. and I've tried them, and I've been, and I was told that at the beginning. You know, you can't take a shortcut. There are no shortcuts. Well, mm-hmm. I think I've tried every shortcut there is, and I'm here to say they were right. Mm-hmm. And there's just no shortcuts. You have to just grind it out. It's do it the hard way, and and not and go years without getting any credit for anything, and not mm-hmm. have anything to show for it, and then, but it for whatever reason it will come together and Um, enjoy the journey enjoy the journey and we talked about that and that's that's another good point because people you they don't realize that the journey is 90 percent of the fun Mm -hmm. um you know i think you were talking about how you guys went down to the keys and did a, a one-day trip down there, left at 2 in mm-hmm. Tallahassee, had a hamburger at 12 in the Keys, turned mm-hmm. around the next day, drove all the way back, you know, because that was all you could do, afford mm-hmm. to do at the time, to get this interview done. And you look back, and that was a, a fun trip for you guys. You mm-hmm. know, that was part of the journey to get this thing accomplished. And there's little things like that that aren't planned that's part of the journey that's priceless. And you gotta you got to l- really learn how to live in the moment um, so you don't, don't get too hung up on the past or whatnot mm-hmm. or, or worry about the future, but you need to focus on what you can focus on right now because these are the good times, man. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the times. <laughs> these that, are the good old days. You hear man. about that. People say, oh, back in the good old days, the, we had fish everywhere or there were deer everywhere or whatever you have you, you know, but in 10 years we're going to be talking about 2019 in the good old days. Yep. And so you need to enjoy those right now. I'd love to transition too to talking a little bit about the business side of mm-hmm. what you guys are doing here mm-hmm. and we'll definitely have some fun especially sure. in the rapid fire on some sure. hunting and fishing yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. technical questions mm-hmm. and I had some people off our newsletter submit some questions also so we'll have fun with that but um something that is really obvious to me is that you don't just love this land and this property and the nature and the facility you have here, but it's very obvious that you also love your team oh, and yeah. who you're doing it with. You were showing us your guide headquarters, oh, I think yeah. is what you call yeah. it, and we got to kind of walk around and hang out there. And yeah. Could you just talk to us a little bit about how, how you built your team and how you thought about building the team around you? Everything from photography to guides, the holistically from a business standpoint, what have you learned about? Yeah, I'm teams? proud of our team. I love our team. And I, and I'll put these guys and girls up against anybody in the world, you know, and I've seen a lot of different outfitters and a lot of different teams. And, um, this group and, uh, well, I'm an only child, first of all. So, um, this was part of the, the equation that I never anticipated really, loving as much as I do is is having this team and that has become arguably if you will for lack of better words my family mm-hmm. my extended family the brothers and sisters that I've never had and but getting back to your question I guess I'm rambling a little bit <laughs> but um been building this team like I, I had mentioned earlier that I can teach a lot of folks about how to be a guide in the outdoors and about how to you know call a turkey etc but I can't teach people how to be a people person mm-hmm. And so our team consists of folks that, that love teaching, they love people, they love interacting with people, and, and um, they love living vicariously 
by through other people's successes. Um, we we're very have a, I've raised the bar very high for these folks. Um, we don't have a three strike rule here. You mm-hmm. know, we have a one strike rule, and you're out. We can't afford to have three strikes. I mean, it's it's there's a lot's expected of these guys and girls. Um, this team I have now, it's taken every bit of these seven years to develop I've, into the team that we have right now. And these guys and girls are the, the finally got there where all of these folks are going to be here as long as they want to be. I, you know, I can't imagine these folks slipping up or whatnot. They're great. Um, and we've got ages from 24 all the way up to 62. And, mm-hmm. um, there's just no drama. We, we can't afford to have drama. We don't do drama, and we'll run up to 15 guides at a time. And we all work together. We all share information and knowledge. Um, and it's, I cannot tell you how rewarding that is and how much fun that is to, to have that. I mean, it's a well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just clicking. And once you have a couple of years under your belt, you, you tend to know the other person's tendencies or guide's tendencies. And, you know, we're all pitching in to help each other out. So we a lot of times can finish each other's sentences. But it's, a, it's definitely a family. And at the end of turkey season, it's just it's, it's two weeks of depression. Everybody kind of goes their separate mm-hmm. ways for a little bit. <laughs> um, but it takes, a, it takes a team to make this happen. One person cannot do it. I, can, I could not be – FOE, I should say, could not be anywhere where it is now if it wasn't for the group of guys and girls we have with us. Um, and, and, man, there's some sharp folks. I mean, it's yeah, having some of these younger guys, especially on our team, it, it gives you a lot of hope for the industry mm-hmm. going forward and some of these guides. I mean, you need to interview some of our guides. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, you got the Ryan Nitzes out there, and you've got Parker O'Bannons, um, you know. Um, if, um, gosh, I could go on and on. Um, Brian Sawyer mm-hmm. out of um, Homosassa. Um, I mean, we've got some great dudes. Man. Mm-hmm. You know, Lacey Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Whitman, captains for Clean Water. Um, mm-hmm. You know Ron Bachman. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm leaving half of them out, and I'll get a phone call after <laughs> this thing here. Um, There's a link to um, them on your website. Yeah, yeah. How would you describe your your leadership style with the team? Um, in in this industry, you have to have a lot of trust. Um, and I, like I said earlier, I I, I expect a lot. Um, but I don't ask them to do anything I will, I wouldn't be willing to do or don't do mm-hmm. on my own. Um, but w- once I show them the ropes, um, the team we have now, there was very little teaching involved. They, they, they picked things up. They picked everything up very quickly. Um, even the ones with no experience in guiding before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, if you come over, you know, and you, you just showed up during middle of turkey season, I think you would have a hard time to press to, to find out who who the owner was. Mm-hmm. You know, there I wouldn't say I don't like to think of myself as the boss or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I mean it really is a round table here. So I would say trust. Mm-hmm. You know, trust is probably having the trust in these folks, um, that's the key to the if you have the right team, you can have the the, the, the trust in your team, then, then that certainly makes you a good leader because you're able to to listen and, and learn from what the input that they're providing you. Mm. And um, 
and if you don't have the trust in your team and where you can do that, then I don't think you're going to be successful. You, you can't rule with an iron fist by any way, shape, or form. I don't care what industry you're in. You know, it has to be, I believe in from, instead of ruling from the top down, from the bottom up. Um, those are the folks that are really in tune with the, with your clients and the people that are coming in. And um, you need to be able to have a round table. And if you don't have those right people, then you need to get the people out and get the right people in. You're never going to change, mm-hmm. you know, somebody. You're never changing spots on a leopard. You're never going to change somebody that doesn't fit in, into your culture. They're not going to. They either fit or they don't fit. And so my advice is, is um, get those out, get the right ones in. And don't try to waste your time or their time. Yeah. And uh, along those lines, I know not just you but your family – has a background in business. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that background? We have a has... background in business and cattle and <laughs> moonshine, <Yeah. laughs> you name it. But how do you how do you think that background in business has helped you sort of oversee and influence how you oversee FOE? I think it's taught me people's tendencies, you know, and um, what to focus on and what not to focus on in order to achieve your goals. Um, everyone's human and you have to understand that everyone makes mistakes, um, including myself, a lot of them, obviously. And I, um, but the key to running this smoothly and having the right team is communication. And there is today's age, there is no excuse not to be able to communicate, whether it be through texting, calling, whatever, emailing. You have to communicate, and as long as everybody's communicating with each everyone, you know, changes. I'm all good. When and I and and I hate surprises more than anything on earth. I hate so I do not do surprise. There's no reason for surprises. <laughs> so and, and communication can you can avoid all of that. So I think that's probably the key factor in, in everything running smoothly is knowing where everybody stands and, and communicating with everyone, mm-hmm. so we're on the same page. And if we're not on the same page, it's my fault. Mm-hmm. Taking ownership. Over I need it. to. I have to. You know, that I was, didn't. I didn't portray what I needed out of them very well if they're not communicating with me, and that goes back on me. So and that was something it, we learned from Eugene Schuler, who mm-hmm. he manages an outfitter up in uh, Bryson City, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and you could just tell he takes ownership over the guys on his team. Mm-hmm. And uh, has a very similar mindset and um, really wants his, he said the same thing about people skills. Mm. You know, he really wants his clients taken care of. And it's obvious that there's a lot of hospitality that goes into a good outfitter, you know, taking care of. And you think about it, you know, we have a one-on-one guide to client experience here. And so when that client is with, let's say, Hunter, you're, you're a guide here and you take one of our clients out when they leave, they don't think about Gray Drummond as being the face of FOE or mm-hmm. Lacey Kelly or anybody. They think about Hunter. You know, FOE in their eyes was the experience they had with Hunter. Mm-hmm. So I've got to have a lot of trust in you and communicate with you and, and for you to portray what I'm trying to you know, pass on to these folks. Um, so, you know, when... How do you go the extra mile there too, though? Like when you have a client come in, let's say whether you're a single man operation or even if you're listening to this and you're not a 
in the outdoor industry, but you're just in the business industry. Like how do you go the extra mile for clients around here? I like to, I like our clients to see every aspect of it. And what I've learned by that is they love hanging out with the guides and they love seeing behind the scenes stuff. And so one of the things that I make sure we all do, let's say we have our clients come in um, at dinner. I like each of our guides to take a client off to the side or whatnot. And, you know, maybe, maybe we have an aerial map of where we're going to hunt or where we're going to fish the next day, or maybe we just have a pen and paper and we kind of draw out something on in, I want to include them on the game plan, Hmm. you know? So let's say you and I are going out in the morning turkey hunting and you've never stepped foot on our property before. I'll call you aside and say, Hunter, okay, this is what we're looking at tomorrow. This is the aerial. We're going to come in here. We're going to stop here and listen for a bird. And if, you know, if we, I expect we're going to hear one over here on this Northeast side, but if we don't, we're going to cut through this gap. And so at least in your mind, you feel like that you're having Mm -hmm you know, an understanding instead of just being of what we're doing, instead of just being drug around in the dark, you know, you understand the game plan and it's a team sport the way we do it. So it, it's an asset to me if you understand what's going on and what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. And so we try to include everybody in every aspect of it. Um, let's say the wind shifts and you're deer hunting and we need to go hang a stand or, or move a stand around in order for you to sit for the next morning, you know, we'll bring our client with us, man, let's, let's go do it. You know, we, we try to incorporate the clients in on every aspect of what we do. Um, and I think that is something by doing that, they feel that they've had a part of the process Mm -hmm. and of hopefully the success, you know? Yeah. I think it was pretty impactful what you said when we were across the, uh, the deck over there Mm -hmm. and, what you said was like sort of a, a kitchen over there. Yeah, um, the cookhouse. Yeah. The cookhouse. Yeah. You're explaining how you want people that show up and stay here the week or the weekend, not to feel like they're around a bunch of staff, but they're around a bunch of friends. Exactly. You want them to be immersed in the process and not we feel do. like they're outsiders that are just existing. Right. You're not a number. You are name. Exactly. And that's important that you have a name. We want to know your name. We want to know your background. We want to know your interest. You know, what do you do for fun when you're not hunting or fishing? You know, you got any kids, you know, what's going on? You know, we, we, we want to make it personal and it is personal and that's important to me. Um, it's important that we, go that extra mile to make people feel like this is their home away from home with their buddies. Mm-hmm. And, and cooking the meals for them and lodging them gives you so much more access to that. Too. Absolutely. We eat with our clients every mm-hmm. night, you know, and hang out with them. And, and it's uh, like I said, when I said earlier, we wanted, I wanted to create an intimate setting and that's what we did. You know, you can see our lodges. I think um, this one has three bedrooms in it. The other one has four you know, they're not great big houses or whatnot. I mean, it's, they're nice, but they're fairly tight quarters, and that's for a reason. Mm-hmm. You're not a number. I'd love also just to transition and talk a little bit more about the hunting and fishing and some of dialing a little bit there, uh, moving away from the business side. Yeah. In what ways for you as somebody who loves hunting, fishing, Absolutely. You, know, you, like, you like fly fishing, you like archery, mm-hmm. How has your experience in the hunting side of things helped you in the fishing and vice versa? How do those feed and play off each other? It's funny, you know, I get asked that quite a bit. And what's, in, and what's interesting, and, and thank goodness, <laughs> the two parallel each other in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. 
you know, the, the, the instincts you pick up hunting carry into fly fishing. But what are you doing? You're, you're hunting. Whether if you're fly fishing, you're hunting. You don't have a bow or a gun, but you have a fly rod. You know, you're not blind casting most of the time out there and hoping you get a bite, but you're actually physically watching hunting. That boat, that casting platform is your tree stand. Mm. You know, that guide on the back pulling you, you know, that's, that's your camera guy. You know, I mean, that's your, you know, that's your other eyes. Um, you're, you're hunting these fish. It's the same thing. Maybe you, you're not, you don't have to be in stealthy the same way you do when you're out in the woods, but you have to be stealthy in other ways, you know, through your tools, through the boat that you're using, through the presentation of the fly to the fish, you know, it, so there's so many parallels. And, and I find that when I'm, I'm teaching people how to bow hunt that, that are, that are, um, and have been fly fishing for quite a while and that's their gig and they want to transition into hunting and they want to pick up a bow. I find that it's an easy transition for them. You know, those instincts they developed fly fishing, it carries into bow hunting. They get it. Mm -hmm. They pick it up a little bit faster and vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I find that um, to be the case. So it's, it's the parallels are, are uncanny. You know, it's really interesting. And how do you kind of manage the transitions from season to season? You I saw you post something the other day. It was funny. You were like, it's time to trade in the board shorts and flip-flops for <laughs> jeans and boots. And Usually you gotta, you're ready, you know. And you got a whole different clothing persona. You do. You, know, you, you do. change up your accent. And, no, I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> you know, um, obviously it's fun. A lot of guides are doing that, whether it's right. species. To, but how sure. do you think through those transitions? And then also just a little bit of an add-on. How do you prepare well for the next season while still being faithful and active in the current season? Well, a lot of in a lot of cases in the in the woods, especially, you have to obviously do a lot of management, and I mean that you know, prescribed burns, um, mowing, etc. Um, but in a lot of cases, less is more. Thank goodness. You know, you need you need to leave things undisturbed. You need to have some peace. You need to let them just everything kind of relaxed. So you're obviously, if you go into the woods in the off season, you know, or, or even especially during the season, you better have a purpose, get in, get out. I don't believe in pressure. I think that's the number one, uh, cause of not having success in the woods. People wanting to go in, check the trail camera, get in, you know, hang the stand here, move this stand here, you know, you're spreading your scent everywhere. And so, you know, you need to have some downtime. You need to let your woods take a break and let everything settle down. So, you know, which, which is great because it allows us to go out and instead of hunting in the woods, we're hunting on a boat now with our clients there. And so I think the transition is, it, it's, it's easy in a way. It's hard mentally because turkey season I love so much, man. It's my passion and it's mm -hmm. only six weeks and you're just getting in your groove when all of a sudden, you know, it's over. You turn around, it's over and you're like, ah. Oh. Where'd it go? It just, it just started. What do you mean it's over? I'm just filling it out. I'm just getting this, everything dialed yeah. in. And so after, you know, I go through a week or two, a little depression and then <laughs> I pick myself up, we hook the boat up mm -hmm. and we, we do the tarpon thing. And, but, but for the most part, I welcome the transition. I do. Mm -hmm. Um, you've been in camouflage from September through arguably the end of April and I'm ready to trade in the, for some board shorts and flip flops. Um, so it's, it's, it's neat. It's a luxury you have when you do both that I think you don't, obviously, when, you, when you're when you just more one-dimensional. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure there's some cons to it, too, but but not for me. Um, I've always, the, the people that I've always followed and, and I've really looked up to growing up are the people that were the, 
that did both that were the outdoorsmen we never really distinguished between is it fishing season or hunting season growing up we would get up sometimes in the morning and hunt and over lunch we would be fishing then go back hunting in the afternoon so it was kind of all always in my mind one of the same it's just one was Mm -hmm. done on land one was done in the water Mm -hmm. um i never really differentiated between the two and what do you think makes a great outdoorsman somebody that is intuitive with nature um i don't care how many deer that you've shot with your bow or how many you've shot with your gun or how many you know tarpon you've caught i don't care about that and and you know, i'm you, you learn more when you're not having successes mm-hmm. than when you are because you know then what 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 happened it's over now you know you're not not really learning when you when you shoot that animal then it's anticlimactic almost or you, you um so i think somebody that makes a good outdoorsman is someone that appreciates all aspects of the outdoors when they're in their tree stand and they're you know the squirrels are going off or you see some crow you hear some crows you know that just got alarmed you know you learn what you know maybe you should be on point over here or what alerted that squirrel here? Little things like that, and on the on the water, the same thing. You're constantly watching. I mean, some of the if you needed advice, you mm-hmm. know, about something on the water, do you go to the guy on the bow or the guy on the back of the boat? You know, that's not fishing. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to the guide, and well, what what's he doing? He's learning. You know, and and you're not learning when you have a gun in your hand all the time, or when you have a fly rod in your hand. You are, but mm-hmm. but it takes those days that you're not hunting or you're not actually fishing but you're just going out there and studying and studying and studying that makes a good outdoorsman somebody that's willing to put aside the kill or the catch to actually learn why Mm -hmm. why are the animals moving this way why are the fish swimming this way what why are they doing it today as opposed to yesterday what's changed look at the elements what's the moon doing what's the wind doing what's you know what's the barometric pressure doing Mm -hmm. um a good outdoorsman looks at all of those things and to help make a decision on what his next or her next move is going to be. Do you find any correlation between like having a good fishing season and having a good hunting season? Yeah, like, it's does one it of the same. And, and I don't know if I could say it's a correlation. I don't, I, that, it's a great question. I've never looked and thought, wow, you know, I had a great hunting season, so now it's going to be a great fishing season. Um, it, shoot, man, you know, the weather here changes so much. So the weather <laughs> mm-hmm. we have when we're hunting is not necessarily the same barometric pressure or wind pattern that we have when we're fishing. And plus, you have tides to worry about when you're fishing, and you don't have to worry about when you're hunting. But you also have, um, you know, when, when you're hunting, I think it's it's maybe a little more intimate, a little, you have to be, it, it's m- I don't want to say it's more up close and personal because a lot of times, you know, you're casting that laid up tarpon or laid up redfish mm-hmm. and you're just so whispering and you're quiet, you know, you're trying to get in there. That's pretty up close but and you, personal. You are, but you are sort but of out of their element. You are. And um, they both, you can argue which, which gives you or has the most challenges and they both do, I think, in general, and I'm sure there's some species of fish, maybe permit, which would be an exception, but in general, I think it's a little more challenging to hunt with a bow than it is fish with a, you know, catch a fish on a fly rod. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, 
for no other reason you can see more and they can see you <laughs> a little better you know mm-hmm. from a further distance at least what um, would you say to they somebody can smell you <laughs> so like part of what you guys do here is you try to give this holistic experience you spend time with them you show them on the aerial map here's what we're going to do tomorrow mm-hmm. you're narrating as you're doing things okay here's what we're listening for here's what we're looking for you're trying to help them become better outdoorsmen, better outdoorsmen. but yeah. you're also trying to live out that e part of foe give Mm -hmm. them this experience that you're a part of but they're experiencing not a kill they're experiencing the the holistic nature of what's happening around them and what are some things that people can do to either help somebody become a better outdoorsman or just to try to be a better outdoorsman themselves to notice those things well first of all you have to um You have to have your mind right, but I think you can obviously, you start by reading everything you can read. And I've, you know, I, and I, when I say reading, listening to or reading everything you mm-hmm. can. Um, TV, you're not going to get it. Too much, too much fluff on TV. I don't even watch TV anymore. I, don't, I couldn't tell you the last outdoor show that I've watched on TV or at least that I've taken anything away from. Too many of them, they can make the worst shot ever, but happen to find the deer the next day. You know, they mm-hmm. always do. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't, but <laughs> they do. Um, so you want to read everything that you can, and there's there's just there's no shortcut to just um, and then just getting out there mm-hmm. and experiencing it. I wish there was a definite answer, and I don't have one. I mean, other than just telling you that you're not going to do it sitting here behind a table. You know, you're not going to do it if you don't get out there and you pull that flat a hundred times to figure out what that tarpon's doing. And you're not going to do it unless you sit out there in those woods when it's not hunting season, before season, scouting. You know, you're not going to do it if you're anywhere but the set area that you're trying to accomplish whatever your goal is you have to immerse yourself in it to where you're one you have to understand the food sources you have to understand you know the tides you have to understand you have to find out why Mm -hmm. you know you have to be able to explain why not that oh i caught this well why why did you catch that there you know or why did why were you able to take that deer when you took that deer what happened to make that all come together for you? Well, I don't know. Well, when you do know, let me know, because that's the guy I want to talk to that knows why. You know, well, That's where I'm going to learn. And to from cheat here a little bit, mm-hmm. you talked about certain figures in your life mm-hmm. that helped explain to you why. And it's I not did. a dichotomy between everybody believes that you got to have time on the water, you got to have time in the woods. But also there's, and it's the old proverb, you know, iron sharpens iron. And that's in a, that's in a spiritual context with maturity, but it is true with the outdoors too, that if you get around great outdoorsmen, they're going to rub off on you. If you don't run them off, I guess. You have to be around the right people in the right frame of mind. There's different types, as you know, there's different types of fishermen Mm -hmm. and there's different types of hunters. You know, there's the, there's the fishermen that want to, you know, they're, they're well on their second case of beer by 12 p.m. in the afternoon, mm-hmm. you know, and there's and they've got a fresh live well full of bait mm-hmm. ready to go. And then there's the hunters that, you know, they prefer maybe to run dogs and, you know, chase them with trucks and stuff like that. And so there's different there's different elements that play into that. And fortunately, um, and, and that doesn't interest me. I wanted to be more in tune with nature. I wanted to kind of be one with nature. That's why I love to bow hunt. I love to be fly fish. I feel like it's more stealthy. 
mm-hmm. you know, it's quiet. And, and so I've had some folks in my life and, and that I've, I, I don't know why, um, and, and I don't know how I've been so fortunate and lucky, but there are some folks in my life that have helped, um, helped me fine tune, um, a lot of my instincts and a lot of, um, of, of what has allowed me to become a successful outdoors mm-hmm. person. And I'm very, very grateful to those folks. Yeah. Um, one of them fortunately lives just right around the corner from me. His name's Steve Kilpatrick. And he was, you know, I've heard, I've heard people say Mangum's a bad boy of flats or whatnot. You know, Steve was the bad boy before Mangum, you know, he was, in, um, but he was always very gracious to me. And he was the guy that guided the first 200 pound tarpon on fly. And he took me under his wing years ago, and um, I met the guy. I met him in Georgia. We were hunting in Georgia during rut. You know Georgia's got a pretty good rut up there. And so I remember we didn't know each other, and and, um, we were at a mutual friend's place and came in for lunch, and this guy was sitting there with a bow, and I remember I looked at him. I said, what are you doing with a bow? It's in the middle of rut in Georgia, man. Where's your gun, you know? And, and, and Steve's, Steve's probably, I don't know, he's in his 60s now. He's a little bit older than I am. And, uh, and he was laughing at me, and, and so we found out that we were from the same town. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, wow, that's interesting. You know, in our town, you went through it. <laughs> Hard to believe there's somebody there you don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, from there, we, we kind of formed a friendship, and he took me under his wing, and he taught me so much about um, bow hunting, got me really fine-tuned into that. Took, definitely took me from, say, level two to level nine. You know, um, he was responsible for that. And in the fishing side of things, um, he was solely responsible for me getting into the fishing like I was. I mean, and it's a transgression. Um, and I think that's something that's important that people know about. You know, when, when you start out fishing, very few people start out fly fishing. You know, a lot of people start out with traditional tackle, and, and they're happy with that. And maybe that's all they ever do. Maybe mm-hmm. that, maybe that, you know, that's all they want to ever do, and they're great with that. And if so, that's awesome. Good for them. And just like in hunting, some people, you know, they start out, 90% of the people or more start out with a gun. And that's all they ever want to do is gun hunt. But when it's in your backyard and you're able to do one of those two things every day, after a while, you know, you look for a next challenge. Where's What's next? Kind of getting bored with this, you mm-hmm. know. I, mean, I, want to, I want to move to something else. So I met Steve at the right time in my life when I was kind of ready to step out, if you will, of of the traditional style fishing and, and, and hunting and, and man, he, I gotta, you know, I, I gotta give credit where credit's due. He, he allowed me to do that and, and was very patient with me. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for him for that. Always will be. So, and, um, and then from there, you know, a little later, he, he introduced me to Shaw Grigsby, which Shaw, um, I did the camera, camera boat for him for a few couple of different. When some, every now and then, Shaw would do a saltwater series, mm-hmm. and so when he'd come over and I already do a saltwater series, I, I kind of became his camera boat, and then from there, I started being the guy he would call to take him out to do his saltwater series show, where I graduated from the camera boat to the to the guide on his boat, and and Shaw was, um, you know, I mean, if you've never met him, he's a he's a just a jam up person, super dude, um, and he was very helpful. And, um, and then I was at, 
I got invited to a guides event down in um, Crystal River one time. Steve and I drove down there, and we were having, I think it was like they were boiling lobster or something. I don't remember. But um, I ran in, and there was Flip Pallet. And so um, I was like, oh, boy. You know, and and growing up as a Florida boy, we don't have very many outdoorsmen Mm -hmm. that we can follow and look up to, true outdoorsmen, you know. And and I had obviously always idolized Flip Pallet. and so I'm just trying to get somebody to kind of find, and this is before we could take selfies, and I'm trying to get somebody to take a photo <laughs> of me and flip, mm-hmm. without asking flip and mm-hmm. whatnot. So long story short, somehow it came up in conversation that I like to hunt. Well, he ever heard that, and, and um, next thing I knew, that was my end with him, and we started mm-hmm. talking about hunting, and, and, I, and he invited me to sit down with him at dinner, and, and he and his wife, Miss Diane, and we had a nice dinner together and spoke about hunting and, and, and formed a friendship out of that. And... And, um, and come to find out our lives um, were very gr- similar in, in that um, you know, he's quite a bit older. And obviously, when I say similar, outside of this Walker K. Chronicles and all of his fly fishing accomplishments, which <laughs> is absolutely not similar to mine. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, as far as his career paths go and, mm-hmm. and in the timing of it, they were very similar. And, you know, he was a banker for 21 years. I've been in banking for, I don't, for about 20 years. And, um, and he, he really allowed me to um, talk to him about some life experiences I had and what I was going through and, and, and help me make some decisions because he actually had been there, done that. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, from our relationships or to our, uh, our parents to career choices to mistakes we've made. And, and you know, he was, he's been, still is, he's, he's been very um, gracious and... Um, and, and taking up a lot of time with me. And, 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 I, and, and this is, I've never fished with him in my life. I hunt with him all the time. He comes up here and brings his trailer and hangs out for a few weeks and does a little bit of guiding for us. But, um, you know, getting back to your question, I've had, a, for whatever reason, I don't know, just dumb lucked on it, I've had a lot of, um, a lot of guidance in my life from some pretty accomplished outdoorsmen that have helped me through along, along and along. Now, they never... You know, they would always make sure I was kind of going the right direction. They never gave me the answer to the question, but they would make sure I was, you know, down the right path in, in some of the choices that I made. Um, so I'm very gracious for that. And there is still a sense, too, where, you know, you're saying dumb luck, but then on the outdoor side, you know, you don't believe in luck. You're telling I you guys, don't. you know. And, and, when I, and I say, you know, when I, when I mean by that, when I say I don't believe in luck, obviously there's such a thing, I, I, but it's, it's a fluke. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you don't know why. You know, yeah. why did I run into this person there? Who knows? I mean, what if I hadn't have? You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing that was set up in order for me to meet this or that person. Mm-hmm. You know, so. But there's still the people still have responsibility. They do. And whether that's following up with an email or... And, and one of the things I was talking to somebody recently about that I'm trying to do is I build relationships and try to find people who are willing to give me time and invest in me as I try to listen, Yes. which there's plenty of people who say they want a mentor, but they just don't want to listen. That doesn't make any sense. It does. But, no. you know, and then also being kind, being generous, being thoughtful about them, making sure that you realize, okay, this guy's still got a wife and he's, you know, he's got family. I'm not going to try to be too invasive here. And you know, knowing yeah. when to ask questions. But also I was talking to somebody recently that was trying to get into fishing and, and he was talking about, you know, how do I try to, you know, want to fish some of my friends? I said, well, you know what, be, be the guy that always offers to clean the boat, 
be the guy who brings, you know, some snacks and sandwiches and you offer, you know, be that guy, be excited to learn, be willing to do what you can. And you know, you might not know what's going on with, in this particular instance, this guy was wanting to do king fishing. You're not going to know the first day how to, how all this is working and what's going on with that. Exactly. You need to be hat in hand, but you, you sure can grab a brush at the end of the day. And you know, you, that's not rocket science, but a lot of people, they're just not willing to do that. And I do think that it's still that obviously there's a fluke or there's, you know, you never know who's going to walk in the room while you're there, who you're going to get an opportunity to meet. But there is still a, a responsibility that you have to capitalize, even with relationships where, you know, you need to to not miss that moment. You're exactly right. And and you also have to realize their time is just as important as your time, mm-hmm. you know, so let's not waste anybody's time and and give credit where credit's due. Um, and, and you and I feel like you need to be professional, too. And I think that. Um, that's something somewhere along the lines we're kind of losing in a lot of ways. You know, just remember to be professional. Do what you say. If you can't, there's no excuse not to communicate. You know, I can't stand that when somebody tells you they're going to do something and they never do it and they never follow up. That's just, that's a pet peeve of mine, and I've got a very short leash with that. Mm -hmm. Well, if it's all right with you, I'd love to transition into some rapid-fire questions. Yeah. We'll just go back and forth. Uh, This was actually, a couple of these were sent in by people off our newsletter when we said, hey, we're going to hang out with Gray down at FOE. Uh, The first one is just simply, tell us what you try to do when hunting with scent control. (laughs) (laughs) What is the secret? The secret to scent control is not to fall for the gimmicks. Um, I believe that the only way you're going to, first of all, I don't care where you are, whether you're Florida, wherever else, at the end of the day, they're going to smell you. <laughs> so just play the wind. The wind is your scent control. Um, you obviously always want to be set up downwind. And that doesn't mean some there's not going to be a deer or whatever that comes in from the, the wrong way, but you just, nothing you can do about it, especially in Florida, because our rut's going on when it could be 90, 95 degrees out here. You're sweating bullets. And if you think any type of, you know, special deodorant or special clothing or whatever is going to help control your scent. You're crazy. Well, there's so many products. You know, they your, got, they got a million. Don't waste your products. money. Don't waste your time. I've some of the biggest Florida deer I've killed. Um, I was in shorts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but, but you do, you do play the wind. You have to play the wind. And that's, that's a key. And sometimes that means, you know, you just don't get the luxury of sitting in a particular stand that you wanted to sit in. The mm-hmm. wind's wrong. You can't go to it. You're going to bust them, mm-hmm. you know, so you have to be disciplined. But, yeah, the wind's the only scent control that we, we pay attention to. Mm. Yeah, and I'm not super sure if this next question is relevant. I don't know if you guys do any, like, food plotting or whatnot. But on the other side, what natural food sources have you found to be, like, most effective for the, the game that we have a lot of oak trees on our properties, you know, from live oaks, laurel oaks, blackjack oaks, you name it. And it's very, I don't care what you have out in the woods, at least. And I can't speak to other parts of the state, but, or the Southeast, I should say. But in our particular part here, I haven't found anything that's going to compete really with acorns. Um, we planted cowpeas, clay peas, et cetera, and they love that. But a problem with that, they wipe them out overnight. You know, and plus in our area, if you notice, our soil is very sandy. Um, we have very poor pH. It's very hard to get that pH up because it, once it rains, everything just leaches right through. Um, but oak trees, um, um, 
acorns that's that's our biggest competitor so that said you have a large oak hammock all right it's in the middle of a rut and acorns are dropping everywhere and um, i don't care if you have a corn feeder out there they're going to walk around they're going to look at corn like we look at potato chips it could be a, it's a snack you know we can take it or leave it it's not something it's not a steak and and the acorns are steaks so they're going to walk by corn that's just you know certain times a year that's a waste so what you can do a trick that i've learned um, so you can narrow down what oak trees they go to what oak trees they don't because otherwise it's just blindly setting a stand somewhere that you think mm. they hopefully they go to this tree as opposed to the one 100 yards away in the springtime and I'm only going to tell you what I do, not how I do it. So I'm going to leave it at that. Let you figure. It out. <laughs> so in the springtime, you go and you you find three or four oak trees that that um, fairly close together, and you find a good tree to hang a stand from. And I like to hang a stand, or maybe a. I look for a place I can hang a couple of stands, so I could play the. You know, mm. depending on what the wind is, I can still hunt the area. And you make sure that there's a good stand to hang a, or a tree to hang a stand on. You find your, your oak trees and, and you fertilize the oak trees. And by fertilizing them in the spring, fall comes and they start dropping their acorns. Those deer are going to come to that, those trees up over the other trees in that mm -hmm. said hammock because those trees are going to be more acorns, more, mm -hmm. and, 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 but most importantly, sweeter. They're going to be a little sweeter than the others and they're going to hit that like crazy. Mm -hmm. I, I thought you were going to say you go out and kind of sprinkle some powdered sugar on the acorns and prepare it. And I don't know. It, it might, might work. Yeah, you, well, if it does. Tell, you try it, you let me know, and we'll see. All right, <laughs> All right that sounds good. I, I think I know the answer to this, but I just want to go here anyway. If you had to pick, what would you rather do, hunting or fishing? What species and what style? If it's hunting season, I'm going to tell you I'd rather hunt. If it's fishing season, I'd rather fish. Oh, so, if if we're mean, forcing you, just do one. You know, the president. Man, the president you can't do that. Otherwise, the you know, that's what I just said. I don't. I, I've always followed outdoors. You know, oh, man, I don't know. Um, if I had to do just one, I don't know. Man, that's on the spot, and I'm going to be held to this. But I guess it would be, it would be bow hunting mm. for mm. whitetail. Well, he he gets hunting in general. He had to. Yeah. Now you're now you're really making. It. Um, um, I just yeah, think everybody I, needs to be ready. I, I guess. Um, yeah, for whitetail, you know, I guess so. I love whitetail hunting. Um, I. I drew an ibex tag this year in New Mexico, and so mm. um, it's like a once in a lifetime tag. Yeah. So that might be my answer after that. I might, it might not be, but I'm really ex right now. It's ibex. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't think that you're going to come to the point where you have to make that decision. But it yeah. is fun to put somebody in the hot is. seat. It is. Whitetail. Whitetail is. It's, it's especially Florida whitetail, and and I don't. You can go. What's interesting is, and in, in every professional bow hunter that's hunted Florida will say the same thing: that if you can hunt Florida, if you grew up hunting Florida with the bow, then you can hunt anywhere in the United States. It's it's our deer may not be the largest deer, but they are for whatever reason they're the wiliest they come in and it's they're looking up they're skittish they're not laid back at all you not you rarely not that you can't rattle our deer in but it's very hard to rattle our deer in um mm -hmm. i don't know what it is it's just like the osceola turkey for whatever reason they just seem to be a little more skittish than say the miriam and the rio mm -hmm. um 
you know, and I, and I know this because I've hunted Texas, I've hunted Kansas, I've hunted Georgia, I've hunted Alabama, and and I should say Florida. I mean, South Georgia and Alabama, same Southeast. If you hunt these Southeast whitetail, they're they're just the most skittish deer in the mm-hmm. that I've ever hunted. Kansas, everything works, rattling, grunting. I mean, they're all coming in. You run them off, they come back. I mean, you know, Nebraska, same thing. It it's until you hunt Florida. This is the outback of the United States. It is by far the toughest state to hunt. Mm-hmm. Period. Whitetail, hands down. So along the lines of that question, 200-pound tarpon on fly or 200-class whitetail? 200-class whitetail <laughs> all day. Yeah, you can have. I don't, I don't take. I'd, now, 40-pound tarpon on fly or something? I love those smaller yeah. tarpon. Those are my well, favorite. You know, I like the acrobatic a, ones, and you're not yeah. fighting them for five hours that's or whatever, what was, you know, and it's just you can get them on, get them off. They're, I don't know. They're more fun. What's your favorite part of what you get to do? Sharing this with people, hands down. I, I love sharing this experience with people. I, I want them to have a chance to see what it's like to live and experience a piece of wild Florida. That's mm. just going away. It's, mm. it's, there's not much left. And you know, all, all of our properties that we have here, conservation is so important to us that I've sold the developmental rights on all of our properties and put a conservation easement on every bit of it. And that's quite a bit of land we have here. And so it's, it's not just words, but it's actions here. You know, we practice what we preach, 100%. What's your least favorite part? Of this? Yeah. When it's over. And season's mm-hmm. over, and everybody kind of has a dips. month or two and goes their separate ways. Twiddling yeah. your thumbs. Yeah, it's it's lonely. It's quiet. You hear the crickets and everything. You, know, <laughs> you, you can't hunt. Too hot to fish, you know, and it's just you. But you know you got to hang these stands and this and that. So Yeah, the work. You know, it's always work. You're never not working. And, and it's physically, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. But, uh, you know, I've always told myself if you're able to look in the mirror in the morning and smile, then you're doing the you're doing the right thing you need to be mm-hmm. doing. And, and so far, I'm, I'm not only looking in the mirror and smiling, I'm laughing. I'm loving it. I love every bit of this. <clears throat> if you could have one thing placed on a billboard for every outdoorsman to see, what would it be? A phrase or... A phrase? Um, we might hold you to this. No, That's going to be a big <laughs> advertising campaign. I mean, I'm serious, and, and it would be more or less advice. I would say the, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And I just live by that. I live by that code. With, with the lucky in air quotes. Yeah, with, with <laughs> a picture of me holding that 200-inch whitetail yeah. that you're just talking about. <laughs> what are you most concerned about with the next generation of outdoorsmen? Um. <sighs> When, when I was growing up, respect was something that um, my dad and everyone in my family that had anything to do with raising me, from my grandmother to my dad to you know, my mom, everybody, uh, respect was something that they made sure that I understood and gave back. Um, and I, I don't know that that's a value that that's something that is um, pressed upon the the younger generation as much as it was my generation. And now I have two girls, and I, you know, I can promise you that they are yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, and they understand the meaning of respect. Um, that is something that I have, you know, I worry about that. 
Um, you, you cannot, you, you know, people talk about Instagram and social media and all of this and, and everything. And is it the necessary evil? Is it something you have to do, but it's bad, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't have to be. And like we talked earlier, I look at it like alcohol, you know, it, it's, there's a, there's a responsibility there mm-hmm. that you can do it the right way and it can be beneficial and it can be good. Or you can not be responsible about it and it can end up hurting you, hurting somebody else. Mm-hmm. And, and it, can be abused. So you have to be respectful and have to have responsibility in, in using that. And so, you know, I don't know how much of that is, is still portrayed and still taught. Um, we cannot prevent change. And a lot of people try to fight it. But we at FOE, instead, we've, we embrace it. Whether we like it or not, we embrace it. So that meaning, you know, you're always going to have new guides coming along. And, and instead of fighting them and, and yelling and screaming at them, you might as well embrace them and try to teach them the right way to do things. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that they'll, and they should, respect that and, and try to emulate you and, and going forward. And so I think that's one of my biggest concerns is I don't know that I see a lot of that respect that the younger guys and girls coming up has. And I don't know if it's a generational thing or what. I hope I'm wrong, you know, and, and I can tell you from the the younger and I'm going to say millennials that we have on our team here. Um, they're you know, I'm definitely wrong if they're a good if if they're a good model of what's coming along, but I'm just seeing some stuff out there that has me a little bit concerned, but mm-hmm. th- that's it. You know, I don't want to end on a negative note with that. The future is very bright too. I, there's mm-hmm. a lot of good dudes coming along, you know, some younger mm-hmm. guys and in the ones in their thirties, I'm still calling younger, like, like stump for instance, mm-hmm. in homeless house. I mean, that guy and that whole group down there, you know, they're really taking They're they're the flag bearers of the future generation. And they're mm-hmm. really doing a great job with that. And, um, and, and keeping that tradition alive you know mm-hmm. so um um you know i do have some some positive things to say about mm-hmm. the future too um well speaking of the future what does success look like for foe yeah we've got some new things coming along you know it's pretty exciting um we um we're going to be starting a podcast called true wild florida and we've got a new team member that's coming on board and i won't name names mm-hmm. just now but i can tell you that a lot of people in the industry know who he is and great guy um and he's going to add a lot of wow factor i think to the mm-hmm. podcast going for, and, and to the overall team in general mm-hmm. um i'm real excited about this this guy coming on board mm-hmm. with us so um, yeah, we got a podcast coming on, and so hopefully we'll have you guys on it as soon as we can. Yeah, get it I'm going. excited. Yeah. And, and your idea behind it is trying to highlight Florida, the nature of Florida, and to yeah. bring in people who can speak to that in Correct. different industries. Correct. Areas. Yeah, not just one one industry, not mm-hmm. just fishing, not just hunting, but maybe in you know from a cattle background or mm-hmm. agriculture background or or maybe you know even from a developer's background to get a perspective on that you know to mm-hmm. see what's what's the future and, and what are some of the obstacles they see and how are they doing this and still you know trying to maintain our natural resources here without mm-hmm. destroying that you know i would like to hear their point of view and mm-hmm. I, I mean that you have to in order to be educated on something it can't just be one-sided i want to hear both sides so and it's going to be sure. so franchisable I hope hope that, you know, you and I talk some about podcasting, but I think there's just so much good that can come out of it because it allows you to sit down and listen to somebody for an extended amount of time and really get 
educated and hear about their perspective on things. And it's going to open up. I'm excited about it as a Floridian, as a fifth generation Floridian, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to be able to learn more about the history and conservation. And Florida is very diverse. I, I think a lot of people miss that, that, you know, you can drive 10 hours and still be in the same state. You and can. the fisheries are different and totally. central Florida. Even our accents are I mean, different. Man. Our accents are way different. And, yeah. uh, you know, and to me, I think it's going to be a really fun journey to follow and it's going to be called true wild Florida, true wild Florida. Mm -hmm. And we'll make sure that we keep everybody up to date. All on right. That. But well, thank you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, on the podcast. it's been a pleasure. And thank you guys for coming down and spending the day with me. Awesome. Come back. Yeah. If, right. one, if people want to reach out to you, how do they get a hold of you? Oh, they can. We have a website, Florida outdoor experience, um, dot com. And we also Instagram, Facebook on Instagram. It's, um, FL outdoors or obviously Facebook, Florida outdoor experience, three, five, two, 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 one, five, four, four, four. Give me a shout. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks for coming on. Have a good day. Yeah, man. You too. Hey guys. Thanks again for listening to the Captain's Collective. This is a part of Waypoint Collective, where you can find all sorts of great content. Also, to find out more about the Captain's Collective and to see some behind-the-scenes stuff, we'd love for you to head to captainscollective.com. Till next time, we'll see you again. This is the Captain's Collective. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the Captain's Collective podcast. Before we dive in, I just wanted to let you know about one of our sponsors, Nikon. Nikon is a trusted company when it comes to optics, and they make a wide range of products for the outdoors. From cameras to binoculars to hunting scopes, Nikon has earned a reputation for building great gear. What you might not know about Nikon is that Nikon engineers their products from the inside out and creates an optical system specific to the function of each product. And because Nikon is one of the few makers of optical glass, they have the unique advantage to specify the exact type of glass needed to optimize the performance of their product. For the water, I recommend the Ocean Pro series. They are powerful, fog resistant, feature a built-in compass display, and have a large exit pupil that makes holding steady in rough water easier. And like all Nikon products, they come with a lifetime guarantee. So make sure to check them out and give yourself the advantage.